You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business unusual. Welcome to um, Topco's today's episode of Business Unusual. And today I'm here with John Ayash. He's the co-founder of Lyft. I hope I got it right. We've been practicing now for like, I don't know, five minutes. Uh, he said he's not offended, but um, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And you? Yeah, good. How was that? How was the Ayash? Was that good or not? Very good. It was very good. And the Jonathan or John? We got John, right? Whichever. I mean, Whichever. I've been called things. But that's a hell of a that's a hell of a screenshot you've got behind you of the view. It's so so. It's. I mean, I'm looking at it now. It, it does look impressive on the on the camera. It is not it a. Looks it's fake. Not a, it looks not fake. A zoom background. It's not a good. zoom background. It is, real. <laughs> it is real. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to be based in Cape Town, and have this yeah. incredible view um, in the background while I work. Is it intimidating for your pilots that they can see that you're watching them take off? <laughs> <laughs> I've never asked. I probably. <laughs> Probably not. I heard um, you fly. I heard you fly as well. You fly? No, 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 no. You don't I, fly. My 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 background is in in no way in in aviation. Flying business wise, I, I I landed here um, by accident. And and you'll see as we go through our discussion, there's going to be a lot of these airline puns. Most of them are unintentional. Um, but as as I've learned, it's they're they're somewhat unavoidable. Um, so that doesn't happen by accident either, right? So the one thing I've learned in speaking to interesting people who are disrupting things is that they have a habit of doing this in their life and it comes from something. And often it's from some failure that gives them a confidence because you have to be really confident to put everything on the line and change careers that quickly. You know what? I... I... I feel very lucky that I've had the opportunities that I've had and that have kind of gotten me to, to where I am today. And I think for me, it's been being very deliberate in taking those opportunities when they come. So, I mean, I think that started, I, I, my career started in, in consulting, which is great because you, you get this opportunity to learn about a whole different, a whole bunch of different businesses like sharpen your technical skills, um, learn how to present, et cetera. And, and so I had that background and then I was looking for some, I was getting bored. I was looking for something new and right place at the right time, got this, got a, my best friend said, there's this company starting up called Uber, never heard of them. <laughs> um, I, and I, I'd looked them up, I downloaded the app. You couldn't use it yet in South Africa. And and I just started talking to them and it was, it was a big thing because they were a startup. No one had heard about it here. The product, the, the, the offering wasn't something that I think as South Africans we thought we needed. And so it was a risk jumping into that and yeah. this, this is continuing. So uh, 
take just taking take being able to take the leap and and seeing where things go is as part of who I am. How hard was it to get that job? I we always joke that a few of us, especially the guys that joined early on, said. Had we joined a few years later, we would never have made it. The interview process was far more stringent. I think in the early days, it was we need to grow as quickly as possible. We just need to hire people so that we can grow. And so, luckily, some of us snuck, snuck through and 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 made it onto the team when it was early enough. For sure. I mean, you you guys have done really well, right? In South Africa and Africa. And there's something, some truth in the fact that. I think you didn't even expect the sort of growth that you got. And so how do you then, how do you, if that's not what you're expecting and you're somebody who likes to move, how do you then start planning for forward momentum once you've hit something unexpected? I mean, I think, I think the thing, the big, one of the biggest learnings from, from my time at Uber was how to handle the unexpected um, and how to handle that what they, they call hyper growth, because I think we, we moved so quickly and blew through our targets so quickly that you can't, there's no, there's no, planning becomes very difficult. And so just being agile and being ready to adapt and not tying yourself to an outcome or to an approach is for me is the way that, that we did it. And more, it was about how we did things. Um, that was was really key to that to that success and being being flexible and agile in that approach is a lot of what we're trying to do now um, in in Lyft and in in our business and managing this pandemic um, as an airline. Yeah. I was saying earlier you obviously have a good uh, health practitioner because he would start <laughs> aviation business in the worst pandemic health financial and you've gone uh, and and obviously you know uh, lifted everybody's spirits with with um, this new you know company um, it is insane and many people think we are insane and when I first heard the idea I thought Gidon is is the co-founder um, and was had the had the idea to launch an airline um, another one um, I thought he was he was crazy, and it wasn't something I went to talk to him about specifically. I mean, we I, when I decided to leave Uber, I'd we'd worked together um, during the pandemic. Actually, he's involved in a food rescue organization called SA Harvest, and we were we were collecting food using Ubers um, to try and and help um, their organization. When when I left, I just asked if we could meet for a coffee. I wanted to get some advice, his wisdom. Um, and we ended up chatting and said, chatting for a few hours. And at the end, he said, I'm thinking about starting up an airline. I've got a meeting in a few days. Do you want to come and join? And one, I joined one meeting, turned into another, into another. And eventually I, I was diving in full time. So it was very lucky and fortuitous. And uh, yeah, it's just been a great, great learning experience for me. Yeah, I think you, you obviously wanted some advice and you were definitely open-minded, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> either that or he's a, a really good, inspiring leader. Um, well, you know what, I think that's actually, it is. And it's been, you know what, for me, obviously I wanted to do something else that was as interesting and 
um, would stretch me and would allow me to grow. But I think one of the things that I learned from Uber was how important it was to find something working with other people that gave me energy and that I could learn from. And, and I think that's the, th that's the thing that, that gets me up every morning is I, I know I'm coming to work no matter how challenging it is. And it's, it, it, there are days where it's really, really challenging and it's not easy, but because we've surrounded ourselves with such great people, it makes solving those problems um, possible. Yeah. And how do you, I mean, you obviously with that solving problems mentality, because that, there comes a lot of confidence with that. Not, not everybody can do with like level 1000 type problems. Most people can deal with like level 10 problems and dealing, you know, that mind shift must have happened a little bit at Uber. Um, what, what are the things that you say to yourself? What are the, the techniques or habits that you, you, you must gasp like the rest of us or feel nervous in front of a crowd like the rest of us. How, how, what are the tactics or what are the things, the tools, the toolkit to get over that sensation of... <gasps> I think, you know, the truth is that the sensation doesn't really go away. I mean, I, st I, I still get nervous. It's just knowing that, knowing that I'm going to have that feeling and it's going to pass is just... Practice makes perfect. And I think in terms of the problem solving is, you know what, you just, the first time you face something, it is going to be more daunting. And I know, I mean, we faced really difficult problems. What I try to do is, is just break it down and say, if I look, if I, if I try and take a look at the whole thing, it, it, it can be daunting and seem impossible. But I, I say, okay, well, where do we want to get to? What are the, how can I break this up in, into steps that, that are more bite-sized than that we can achieve? Because uh, it's very basic, very basic. There's only so many hours in a day. So like, what can I achieve today that's going to get me closer to what I want to achieve in the next month, in the next three months? And, and that's how we go. So it's a bit like the elephant, right? One bite at a time. 100%. 100%. Is, it, is it that? Or is it that first principle, that Elon Musk's first principle, where you're breaking down to its most simple problem that you need to solve I th you know what i think it's i think it's a bit of both i think it's a bit of both and and the other thing is just having that belief that it the problem is solvable um i mean going back to my time at uber i think i mean we were we were excited when we had our first two three four ten cars on on the road had you told me that five, six, seven years later, we would have over 30,000 driver partners operating on the road and we'd be doing millions of trips. It's, that's insane. You, you, it's, I would never have expected that to be the case. But seeing that allows you to, allows you to in any problem or seeing any opportunity and seeing the, how big it can be and not limiting yourself. Um, either in trying to solve the problem or, or seeing what an opportunity can be. And obviously, I mean, a lot of the stuff you bring on the right people and teams of people to work with you and help execute. And I mean, how, how hard of a challenge is that to get them to be as calm and <laughs> fixated with priorities? <laughs> do, you, do you, you know, how do you, what are your techniques for sort of, uh, overcoming that challenge because that's a real challenge as well is, is getting into people's heads and giving them that confidence and also belief in you and the job I, at hand. I, you know what I think 
the first the first thing is finding the right group of people to get on this journey because you do it is it is a roller coaster there is a huge amount of uncertainty and it's been one of the, the really lucky things that we've been able to get some incredible people on with lots of experience i mean as i said i'm not, i'm not from the industry so being able to surround myself with people that do have that experience um, has been a key to success. And we've done this, we've, we've got a really great mix of airline and non-airline people. And I think that diversity of thought is part of what's making us successful. Um, it also, it, I, I don't think it's a case of being, me being calm all the time. I always try, even if inside I'm panicking, is to at least appear calm. Um, sometimes I do it better than, than other times, but you know what? The truth is we're a team and sometimes it's me who's, who's like trying to be, trying to gain perspective. And sometimes it's, it's my team who are saying to me, look, it'll be like, let's look at it this way. And I think we've, we've, we balance each other out um, quite well and it, it's, it's working. And I mean, for you, coming with no experience in the aviation side of things, what attribute do you think you've brought to the organization? Because there's other people who are also looking to expand their careers and stretch themselves. And so it's also understanding what competencies you bring without experience, possibly. So it's, it's, a, I think it's a great question. I think aside from the obvious of what, we, what I learned at Uber, which was, how powerful technology can be in an industry that hasn't evolved or, or, or taken advantage of it properly. And you saw this taxi industry, which had been sitting with, I mean, the, the best innovation was that you could phone and call and order a taxi. I mean, that's, that's insane. Um, so, so I think that seeing meter. what, exactly. Meter. Meter. <laughs> Seeing how, seeing that, seeing what technology, how powerful that can be when it's used in the right way, and I think a lot of the time you 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 hear people saying, just using that phrase, how you can use technology to empower. Really, what does it really practically mean? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's the first thing, and and I think the second two are probably more relevant to, to everyone, which would be how powerful it was at Uber that they created an ownership mindset. We were all made to feel like owners in the business. Okay. And that really drove how hard people worked. I mean, it was not a nine to five. It was if there's a problem at midnight, it means there are human beings that are stuck somewhere I'm going to get up and we're going to solve the problem um, because that's just how we, we're going to, that's how we work. Um, and I, and that's, that, that was the first one. And I suppose the second piece is the, that customer obsession that we had. It, those are two of the, of the biggest things that we're, we're trying to emulate at Lyft um, and, and bring what I don't, what I think the airline and the aviation industry has lost um, to some extent. I mean, I speak as a, as a passenger. I feel like when I book, I'm, I'm treated as, I, they treat me as a transaction and they try and get every last cent out of me. And I think 
if you've ever tried to if you've ever tried to change your booking, it's it's a nightmare. And I think that's what Uber did for for the taxi industry. Um, we are trying to emulate that that in in the aviation industry. So I think those those approaches, um, while not unique to any one industry, are really it's, I mean being able to move those over is a is a huge um, a huge asset to any. Yeah, I mean, you've really, you've really sort of dialed into the pain of the customer and solving that pain. How, how did you learn that? I mean, because it, it's not an easy thing, right? Because there's a lot of pain and it's how do you find the right pain to solve? What, was, was there a process that you went through to do that? Or was it like, let's have some wine and... No, I think I was very lucky in, in that the industry was one that I... While I don't have experience in it, I was a I was a customer, and so traveling quite a bit, you you get to understand those different pain points. Um, so having being able to solve them is is a bit easier. Um, so that was that was a huge advantage. But I think just diving back, I think more generally, how do you learn how to solve people's problems is, is actually going and trying to solve them. So in the early days, when people were writing in and ask, and I, I mean, we were doing customer support ourselves in the early days. I was the person, when you emailed, I was the person answering your emails. So seeing that and understanding firsthand how different decisions that you make and different um, policies that you put in place impact people's experience was has has really stood me in, in good stead in in being able to grow and really have that um, firsthand knowledge of of how how to solve problems and avoid them altogether. Sure, you've got to feel the pain as well from the customer, right? You've got to be on the client facing side like part of the parcel but i mean i think that the exciting thing for me i'm thinking of all sorts of book reviews that you could write like what's the heading of your book how to launch an airline in uh, 90 days is one that, that comes to mind <laughs> i'm yeah. like how i mean first you're gonna launch an airline right in a pandemic now he's gonna do it in 90 days do we need to do we need to get him into the the hospital here like what's happening i mean it's you know covid we didn't. I mean, we didn't go. We didn't say our plan is we're going to try and we're going to try and launch an airline <laughs> as possible. I think strategically there was there was an opportunity at the time. There were a number of players that had had exited the market, yeah. uh, and and strategically there was a there was an opportunity. Um, and it's good to put a line in the sand because I think a lot of the time, especially entrepreneurs, you can try and you'll try and wait until everything is a hundred percent perfect before you go out and launch and and Giron was actually instrumental in like in really pushing me to say like let's put a line in the sand let's aim for it and and let's make it happen and and when you do that it's amazing how how that seemingly impossible thing um can 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 happen i mean it, and it wasn't perfect i mean we we had a launch and and things broke, but because it, again because we we hired really good people and we we had a really good way of working together, we were able to solve those problems um, so that they didn't they didn't stop us. I mean, it sounds pretty immense, right? Recruit the right people. I mean, that in itself is three months. Let's be fair. 
Um, putting technology, I mean, come on. The strategy takes three months. Never mind putting it in. Um, we, we were very lucky. We were very lucky. So COVID, COVID, it was interesting. It sounds insane to do it during COVID, but actually COVID was the thing that provided us with that opportunity. So one, as I said, there were a number of players that, had, that were not in the market anymore, which meant that there were people with huge amounts of experience that we could bring on very quickly and were ready to jump into a new opportunity. That would not have been the case if it were not for COVID. The second point is there was the, the, the aircraft. There were lots of aircraft available. I mean, no one was flying. So the costs, the direct costs of flying, we were able to get really good um, contracts in place and flexible contracts in place that allowed us to operate and gave us the flexibility to manage the cycles that we've obviously seen now with the pandemic um, and gave us the confidence to launch when we did. So it's, COVID makes it sound insane, but actually was the reason that we were able to launch. Um, and that's, that's actually the secret to, to why we did it when we did. Um, but the reason we wanted to do it is not because of the timing, but because we saw an opportunity to change how the airline industry model had been had been run and, and that's that's not COVID specific yeah for sure i mean you obviously had some exciting ambitions and, and i mean up until now there seems to be this perception of because of your background because of the uber background there seems to be a perception of lyft as a technology-based travel you know aviation organization and almost like a you know a low-cost traveler but that's a myth, right? Yeah. So I think there are there are a few things. So when when people initially saw my background and then and then left, I think the the first things that people thought was you're going to be able to download an app and and call a call a plane to your house to to take you away. Um, yeah. That's obviously not not the case yet. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting for that one. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> um, a drone, maybe. <laughs> yes. So, so but, but definitely using technology, and I think some, some tangible examples are in how we, so one of, the, one of the key things that we changed was flexibility. There is no reason that you should be stuck, um, stuck with a ticket that you, that you can't change. And so, so the first thing we did was say, up to 24 hours before, you can change your, your ticket free of charge. There's no reason not to do that. And more importantly, how do you do that? Because today, yes, you can buy very expensive tickets with other airlines yeah. that are flexible, but they cost two, three, four times more than a normal ticket. And then again, in order to change it, it's an absolute nightmare. You have to phone someone. They have to then speak to their manager. They have to send you a voucher. Often you forget about it. We wanted to, to make it seamless. So we worked with our technology provider to make it possible for people to do it themselves online. So you can go, you go into your manager bookings, you push cancel, and then there's a, there's a Lyft wallet that you, that you get your credits into. And you know how you, and it, it's not only great for the customer, but it's great for us because we're not dealing with all of these, with all of these inbounds saying, I want to change my ticket. People just do it themselves. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like a good idea now. But at the <laughs> like all good ideas, like that was a great idea. Why didn't we do that? Well, it's not that easy. There's big risk involved, right? Because you're thinking the whole time, what's our downside here? 
What if people take the mic? What if we've got empty planes? Like, how do you how do you overcome those sorts of things? Because that's the real fears of people why they don't do these things. It's because of the people who maybe take the mic or take advantage of your generosity. It, it's, it was definitely one of the concerns that was raised. And I think a lot of the guys that we have on our team that were from the industry were more apprehensive about it. <laughs> they, under, they, they understood what the risks were. But yeah. if you really think about it, when you're traveling, it's not just that if you're, you're going to just cancel your ticket. There's, you've got your, book, your hotel accommodation. There's a, there are a whole bunch of other things. So people are not just going to cancel their flight for no reason. And, yeah. so, and, and that's what we've seen. Um, so, so it's been good. And interestingly, a lot of the, a lot of our competitors are trying to copy it, but the, the real trouble is not that it, not that people will take advantage of it, but that they have been making a lot of money from the inflexibility. Yeah. So it's not, it's, it's that yeah. they will lose that revenue. Margin. Exactly. Um, yeah. that makes it really difficult for them to now compete. It's like that innovator's dilemma. You've innovated, they can't innovate themselves because they're gonna eat their profit margin away. So, yeah, I mean, these are all, all sort of exciting things and I can see myself now going, oh, wow, this is really good. Um, because you're right, it's a big hassle going and waiting those queues, especially also if you're in a hurry, you don't have the time to do it. You know, And I think time is also money. It's not just the, the hassle, it's the, your time of waiting and dealing with all these inflexibilities. So, I mean, the, the, the big job really was how to use technology to help you drive out a customer-focused approach. Yeah. How and hard was that? Quickly, because we didn't have a lot of time and, and, and I think finding the right technology partner was important for us at this stage. Um, and, and then doing those, like there were, there were lots of ideas that we wanted to do that we've had to phase in. Um, yeah. as opposed to doing them all at once. So that, that was all part of the, the process. That minimum viable product. Exactly. And, and so obviously now it's about how do you add on sort of fun things. And so I didn't know this, but your name came almost from a public vote. We, we so <laughs> we, we started trying to find a name that we all liked and we realized we're not creative enough to we, we're not creative enough to come up with a name that we all liked so Geron had the idea of let's just ask South Africa to help us name the airline and what a we, crazy clever idea it was good, eh? well I mean it was it was a gem I mean he comes up with these these really re, like brilliant ideas um, and seems obvious afterwards um, so we put out a competition and said, if you could give us a name that we like, we'll give you fl free flights for a year. Um, and we had over 20,000 suggestions, lots of, lots of uh, crazy ideas, lots of ones that were not very good. And, and in the end, actually eight people eight. came up, eight people came up with the name Lyft. And so, so they, they, they all came up with the name Lyft. We, we went to them and said, well, we can select an, at random and one person will win it, or we can split the prize. And they all decided to split the prize amongst themselves, um, which was, I thought was a, was a much better way of doing it. And, we've, and if you ever fly with Lyft, as you walk through the, 
the door of the plane, if you look on your right-hand side, we've got a plaque with all of their names on, on the side of the plane. So you can wow. see the names of the people that named Lyft. Well, that's really cool. But I mean, you're talking about ideas that work, right? And, and having an ideas guy, Gideon, but I've been in business a long time. And the one thing I know is that ideas are great. My dad's old partner said to him, there's millions of ideas, millions of ideas. You've got to make them work. So how on earth did you go from three months to making all these great ideas work? I mean, what was your strategy in, in sort of the execution? Because that's really what it comes down to simply is how do you get other people to come along with you and execute in a, you know, and you're under pressure, you're under pressure, you're in a pandemic. It, I mean, you know, it, it was, it, it was very lucky that we had the right people around us. And we we're also, it's, we're doing this with um, a company called Global Aviation. So Global Aviation is was a a charter and a, a ACMI or wet leasing company. So when other airlines needed an extra plane or they needed another plane, they would lease in a plane short term. They didn't have their own airline. So they have now launched their own airline and continue to do this, um, to do their other work. But working with them was was fantastic it was something i i wasn't quite sure about because it wasn't just building our new team it was now bringing all of these team all of these people together um and and it was we were very lucky they an amazing group of people to work with we have so much fun doing it and that was part of the success it was figuring out all the different pieces as you say taking that elephant and breaking it down i think one of the things that i i like structure so it's in my nature to go and say, okay, what are the things we needed to do? Set up like a morning stand-up because half the team's in Cape Town, half the team's in Johannesburg. Make sure that we're working towards something and really just trying to pull people and pull people together. And, and that, was, that was how we did it. And we just had a lot of fun working together, which I think if, if we hadn't had that, I don't think we would have hit the timelines that we did. Um, we would have gotten there eventually, but I think that was definitely that was definitely key to the success. Yeah, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called Rework, and it was actually suggested by someone who spoke about our events and also ran a startup. He's working for corporate now, and um, one of the parts it talks around is you know this theme of everybody telling you to fail fast, fail forward fast, and he and he said basically it's a load of rubbish. Uh, focus on success. Focus on the success you've had and double down. Like that's what you need to do. What's, what's your take on that? You know what? There's, I think there are elements of truth in all of these, in all of these philosophies, and you can, and they're they're useful at at different times. You know what? I I like I love these books, and I try to take to take these things away, and then when I'm experiencing something like like failing fast. I think that's the approach that we've taken with a lot of things is let's do something in a way that's not going to commit us or risk putting us out of business. But if we make a mistake, we can pull back on. Um, mm. And so doing that and doing it quickly means you're always staying ahead of the game. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it helps because a lot of other companies are afraid of, of failing. Um, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to claim to be an expert. I think in, in many cases, they, as I said, these things do apply. And it's my philosophy is 
try to quantify the risk of a decision mm-hmm. and use that to determine how much energy and time you should spend in trying to make it. A lot of the time you end up spending, I, I do it still, I do it still, you end up spending a huge amount of time making a decision that is actually not that important and then you waste time not or don't spend enough time on the important stuff. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the real, that's, that's the thing that I try to be mindful and, and um, stick to. And so how do you do that? As I said, I mean, you try and, try and quantify. Like if I make this decision and I get it wrong, is yeah. the business going to fall over? No. Yeah. Okay. So how much time should I allocate to that decision? That's the first thing. And then yeah. also, is this a decision that I should be making at all? And yeah. trying, to, trying to empower my team to make those decisions. Um, yeah. there's an interesting, there's a, speaking of books, there is an interesting book called No Rules Rules yeah. um, by Reed Hastings. It's about Netflix um, yeah. and how amongst many, basically how their, how their culture and philosophy promotes innovation and has been key to the success of that business. But one of the, one of the elements is how, the, how much focus they put on empowering people to make huge decisions. Yeah. Um, and when you do that, not only do you not, do you, you don't stifle and slow things down, but you create that ownership mindset because if someone's making a multi-million rand decision and the, the, their head's on the block, they're going to treat it very differently to if they're just putting a proposal together and then the boss or whoever it is is making the ultimate decision. Sure. So that's, yeah, I think that's been, that's been really important for me is to allow our teams to, to run with things. And it's I mean, getting, Sorry. I mean, you were saying as well that you've got that entrepreneurial sort of culture in the team. And that's also part of the thing is that they're from Uber, you've brought that in. And I was wondering, how do you find those people, those entrepreneurial minded people? Because you have entrepreneurs and then you have entrepreneurial minded people. Uh, you know, I don't know. There isn't, there isn't a secret. I mean, I, I think we, I mean, we don't have a, a formal interview process that we're going through. It's very much a startup um, mentality still and I think the way that we've been approaching it is we're not with the uncertainty around COVID a lot of roles we haven't hired for we've had we've worked with people that are doing it and can help us and as these people have st- we've worked with them they've spent more and more time on the business and many of them have come on then um, to work with us full time which has been I think the best way of doing it you work together you see that there's not only it's easier to find, does this person have a specific skill? Yes or no. But mm. how is it going to be working together? Are they, are they going to gel with the team? And so for me, it's really been about just getting in, working with someone. And if it works, come join the team full time. For sure. And I mean, you, you talk about putting in the systems and digitizing things. You're obviously doing it because you want to get better data. You want to get better intelligence to make better decisions. And, and what sort of what sort of impact has that better data helped you with, or you know, what sort of decisions have you been making based on that that was probably different before from the aviation? Is there any insights? Absolutely, I think what we what we realised was, especially with our technology partner, they is so much data that is thrown at you, and data is not necessarily helpful. I think you need to package it in a way that it 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 
helps you to make decisions and it wasn't doing that in the beginning. And I think what the team has done is, is helped put dashboards together and interpret the information. So as a practical example is we've got a very flexible and agile model. So we can see when, if demand isn't there, we're not going to fly an empty plane. So we've got, we put together data in a way that can help us see a week, two weeks out, which are the flights that aren't going to, aren't going to make it and then try and group those together um, so that we're not, I mean, running at massive losses. I think in addition to have a generally low operating cost, which is part of, part of our model, that flexibility just helps supercharge that um, and, and allows us to operate during the pandemic. So it's obviously one of your values, not just for the customer's benefit, but also for the, the values of the company. I mean, you're living that value of flexibility in every way. Is that, is that hard? Because there's some trade-offs, right? Hundred percent. It's it's really difficult, and I think we've the team does a great job advocating both sides. So, whenever we're having a discussion, there is someone sitting in there and saying, "Okay, what's the right business decision? What's or what's the decision that's more obviously right for the business?" Because I think ultimately, there's one. There is a decision that's that's good for the business and for the customer. But yeah. if we cancel a flight, are we messing people around? Should we do that? The day before, absolutely not. If it's yeah. two weeks out and we can minimize and we can minimize the the change by to two hours, it's probably not going to make a big difference to the customer. Right. And so that's the, that's how we try and approach it. But really, not just say, "Listen, it's not a profitable flight. We're canceling it. I don't care how many people are on the flight." We we look at all of that in making a decision. Mm. But I mean, the, the the word that comes to mind is brave. And so there's some, a lot of these brave decisions you've made that you need to hang on to. And so where does that come from? Is that, is that a confidence thing? Is that just part of your values? Is that a personal journey that you went on to be? Is it courageous? Is it brave? You know, what is that? Well, it's, I don't know. I think, you know what, we've, we, one of the, one of our, I think, secrets to success is our ability to just go and make that, go and make a decision and back ourselves. So, I mean, one of the big one of the big decisions we've made more recently is with this third wave um, and and banning and the banning of leisure travel in Gauteng, they effectively shut down air travel, and and we only at the moment we're only flying to Joburg between Joburg and Cape Town. So, so they banned travel on the only route that we operate, and so we we had a really difficult decision because people had booked for the re- for the whole of July. And so we sat down, we, we looked at it and we, we thought we're already seeing people canceling flights because we offer flexibility and that's, and they should, they need to be safe. Does it make sense to keep flights and then have people canceling every day and managing it poorly? And we made a, the hard decision we made was let's cancel our flights. They've effectively banned travel for people that still want to fly. We move, we, we, we contacted all of them and said, if you want to fly still, let us know. We moved them onto other airlines. And for everyone else, they got their credit back into their wallet. So it was a, it was a scary decision that we had to make. We weren't 100% sure how passengers would take it. Um, and, and in the end, in hindsight, it was absolutely the right decision. Most people ended up canceling and deferring their, their trip. And so we would have sat with a really, really difficult position of empty planes if, if we hadn't done if we hadn't done that. And because the team handled it brilliantly, 
passengers understood, all of our partners understood and really appreciated how we made the decision, we communicated it well, and, and as you said, it's all in the execution. So, so just doing that, what ended up being a really hard decision, I think, was, was a hugely successful in the end. So, I mean, you've also had some innovations that are a little bit uh, different, right? Um... We, we, we like to listen to customers. Um, okay. I, so, I mean... How do you know which ones are right, though? We, look, again, as I said, we, we, don't, we don't... You can get stuck in trying to do the research and understanding how much market... Like, ultimately, if it's not going to be... If there's not going to be a huge amount of risk to trying something... Why not? Why not go ahead and do it? If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So, a, a, a great there's there's two two good examples that that come to mind. One more fun. Um, we were getting a lot of like requests for for being able to travel with pets, and so we thought like there's no way that I, I I'm I'm obviously a, I, I'm a pet I'm a dog lover. Um, I, I love animals. You're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. And, and actually, get on, get on travels regularly with his dog. So if you look at our social media, the, our ambassador's name is Harold. It's actually Gidon's dog. Um, okay. But that's, that's who the star of the show is. But we thought, how can we do it? Why, like, why not do it? We, I mean, there's some regulatory loop, uh, loopholes that you have to get through. There's a lot of people don't actually want to travel with dogs. So how do you balance that? There's people that do want to, people that, that don't want to have a dog next to them. So it wasn't just simply making a decision and doing it. It was looking at all sides and trying to make everyone happy. But the downside, I mean, listen, if it was a disaster, we can just stop doing it. So there's, there's, there's very little risk. Um, and so doing those kinds of things, I think, are, are, it's in our, that's, that's in our DNA and just shows like the type of, the type of team we are, the type of business that we are. Um, the second one would be would be premium. So you mentioned earlier people seeing us as lo- as being low cost. I I lift at no point did we ever say we want to be another low cost carrier. I think what what we've learned is there doesn't need to necessarily be a difference. We are bringing a low operating cost model, but offering a premium service. And so that's something that's different. And, and part of that now is we've launched what we call Lyft Premium, which is, which is our, our version of what a business or corporate traveler or frequent traveler would, would expect um, from, from an airline experience. And it's, it's our interpretation of that. So we're, again, people asking for it um, and us listening and yeah and putting our spin on it. But again, doing it in a way that, hey, listen, if it doesn't work, it's, it's really interesting because the seats can convert from three to two. So if it doesn't work, we're not putting, a, there's not a huge amount of risk. We can convert them back. Um, and just taking that approach to solving this problem and testing it out rather than saying, okay, we're throwing everything at it. And if it doesn't work, we, we're in trouble. So again, another thing of the flexibility, trying different things, but having a backup plan, right? There's always a safety net of if it doesn't work, what's the worst that can happen, and then mitigate the risk. So there was another one I saw that there was the the musician from. <laughs> that was. And, that was and, and, and I went to a party like that once where we all walked around. It was in Hout Bay, and we all walked around in headphones, and um, and I saw they did it on the plane, so I thought that was really cool. Right? 
that, that was that was a lot of fun. So I think you know, in a, in addition to the airline industry um, being really badly affected, I think the arts and and performers have obviously. I mean, many of them haven't um, been able to do what they love, earn a living for. We going we're going on 18, 24 months now. Um, mm. So something that we wanted to do was try and use our platform to give them a platform. So we, we tested it out. And when we first said to, when we first said to our, to global, our operating partner, we want to, we want to do this. They, and we need to plug all of these things into the aircraft. They were like, you are insane. We are not doing that. That's way too dangerous. Um, and so we, we again had to brainstorm and figure out how we were going to do it. And that's how we came to the, to the silent disco, which actually worked brilliantly. I was worried you wouldn't be able to hear it. It, it, was, it was fantastic. Um, so definitely something that we'll look to do, to do more, more often. Um, and I think, that, I mean, I think all the passengers on the plane had, had a little bit of fun. And the great part was if you didn't feel like listening, you just took the headphones off and you couldn't hear anything. Um, yeah, so, sure. right. so now I was interrupted. I also read somewhere that there is a productivity book I read, and they're talking around how productive people are on a plane. Uh, yeah. And I suppose it's business people because there's no interruptions and nobody, I mean, as long as you put your headphones on and you look like you're working and then you can really dial in and get into the flow and you can get some productivity going. And obviously there's not much, too much business travel at the moment. Um, but, but looking at businesses and travel in and around Africa, is that, is that part of the flexibility to move outside of South Africa and to look at those other places? Are you, are you seeing disrupting more than just the Cape Town Joburg route? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the reality is, if, and, and we track this regularly, if you look at the passenger volume data that, that AXA shares, the reality is regionally and internationally, Travel is, is nowhere. It really hasn't recovered. August, mm-hmm. it has been a bit of an increase. And I think that will definitely continue as, as globally the vaccine rollout um, gets, gets mm-hmm. further along and, and locally. But yeah. we definitely have expansion plans. Yeah. We, will wait until, we will wait until it becomes commercially viable, which is going to be driven by passenger volumes recovering. Yeah, and and what do you see? What do you anticipate? Obviously, there is this there is this sense that uh, Africa is going to be opening up quite aggressively after the pandemic. But I mean, it depends on the vaccine or not. Or I mean, are you so is many, that a requirement? There's so many different variables. I think I think vaccines are definitely going to be a requirement, and it will be interesting to see how we move from. A, you know, I mean, I, I have, I've had my, my first one and I, all I got was a card. Mm. Um, it would be interesting to see which technology platform we use to now um, legitimize the fact that yeah. we have vaccinated. I think that will be internationally an important one and, yeah. and locally. Um, yeah. that's, that's one element and, and how things open up um, globally. Even if we do start getting vaccinated, that's that's no guarantee that other countries will open up to South Africa or allow their, allow travel between, between us and them um, openly. And, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, how has behavior changed? So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's lo- loads of opinions on how, 
how business travel is going to change now that we, I mean, we're, we're sitting here chatting on, on Zoom. How is business travel going to change now that more and more people are, are comfortable using, using technology and these platforms to, to do business? In, in my view, I think it's highlighted how beneficial these, these platforms are, but it's also highlighted how you cannot replace in-person interaction and how, how important that is to build relationships and, and get things done. This, and, and I don't think that's gonna change. I think what will happen is maybe it will become more deliberate and I'm gonna go up to Johannesburg wherever I go and I'm gonna have a few meetings rather yeah. than just flying up and down multiple times. So I think I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I just don't see, I don't see it going away completely. There's no way to get, a, there's no way to replace human interactions in, in building relationships. I think we love traveling, right? There's so many people who put that as part of their thing, like travel, like job, what do you love? Travel. What do you want to do? What is your goal? Travel. Um, I, I don't know if it's going to kick back like with the housing prices did, where suddenly everybody wants to go and travel. They've worked hard now for the last couple of years, those that are working. And now they're like, well, now it's time to go and travel and enjoy ourselves. Um, I, I kind of got that, that sense that that could be happening. Is the great, that great term, this is revenge travel. So I, I think we'll, <laughs> travel. We'll, definitely, we'll definitely see that happening. Um, no. And, and it's something that, again, we want to be taking advantage of because if that's why we offer that flexibility because we want you to travel and we don't want you to have that anxiety of what if something happens? Tomorrow you find out you were exposed to someone who had COVID and then you can't travel. It's fine. That's, that shouldn't be an issue. Um, and, so, and so that's, I mean, we really, really want to make it, we want to take that anxiety away um, yeah. and, and get people moving again. For sure. It was um, really great speaking to you, John. Uh, I, I'm still loving that view, even though I see it most days. I think yours is just better than mine. Um, <laughs> I can't Thank wait you. to go on Lyft. I, I can't wait to go and then uh, tell about my experience. So I went on the website today. I looked to book and everything. So um, I think my son's got a tour coming up. He's going to Durban or something, some water polo tour. So I saw that today with all his buddies. So um, not flying there, flying, not flying there yet. You're not flying there yet, but but definitely can't wait to hear about your your experience. And again, that feedback is is so valuable in in, in helping us to improve. And and uh, the best of luck. I'm I'm sure the rest of South Africa is rooting for you guys. So you. you know, well done for being so brave and customer oriented. Wow. Thank you so much. Been great chatting.